Welcome to the Tuesday evening uh, Bible study with Matthew Tilly. I call this Seeking Christ in the Scriptures. In case uh, anybody know, doesn't know why I call it that, it's actually based off of what Jesus says in John chapter 5 and verse 39, where he says to the people in so many words, he says, you're searching the Scriptures, uh, you're looking for something, and what those Scriptures are going to tell you are about me. That's what Jesus says. And so I happen to take that as indication that the thing that we're going to find when we open the pages of the scripture is more about Jesus, understanding who he is, what he's done, what he's promised us, who he is to us, relationship, fellowship with him. So um, that's what I hope to do when I open the Bibles for myself is to find the Lord there. And um, <clears throat> those of you that think enough to take some time out and uh, join me on these Tuesday evenings, I hope I can uh, show you a little bit of Jesus and uh, what better place to find a little bit of Jesus than in the gospel, uh, the gospels rather. And we're looking at the gospel of Mark, the first three chapters and uh, the gospels are uh, the story of the recounting of the time that Jesus was here on this earth uh, from his birth all the way to his, uh, his, of course, his ultimate death and then resurrection and then ascension. So we're in Mark chapters one through three. That's what we've been studying. And uh, we are going to uh, take this all the way. I, I've started something. I'm going to finish it. And I say that you may say, well, why are you saying that? Well, let me tell you why I'm saying that is uh, we've got some things in the works with uh, ministry. Uh, we'll see the Lord's will. We're praying for the Lord's will to, to come about and um, working with a church here in West Jefferson, North Carolina, uh, it's called North Beaver Baptist Church. I'm looking forward to what the Lord has for us there. Ultimately, the, the church will decide if uh, we will work together as I'll be there, the pastor or not. I'll let you know how that turns out, but that's uh, the decision will be made this Sunday. And with that, um, I want to focus my attention to that. That said, I'm going to finish this study, Mark chapters one through three. So we've got another chapter-ish plus uh, about a chapter and a half left and we're going to do it. Uh, I want to do it because I enjoy it and hope you're helped by it. But then after that, assuming things go well with the church, then uh, we may shift our attentions there and um, hope you'll hope you'll stay with us to the end. That said, uh, continue to give me feedback. Um, if I can be a help to any of you, uh, I think everybody that's on here, at least most of the ones that I've seen on here are friends and people that I, I care deeply about. So if I can be a help in your spiritual walk, I hope I can continue to do that even, you know, through this means, or, you know, most of you have, and if you don't let me know, and I'll try to get to you, um, you have ways to contact me phone or otherwise. And, and I'd love to be a help to you with all that said, <clears throat> all that prelude, let's get to the main attraction, which is the gospel of Mark. And tonight, uh, tonight I'm in chapter two, and we'll begin in verses 13, verse 13 and go down to verse 17. But before I do, I, I make a habit of praying, asking the Lord to help me. I hope you'll join me for this moment of prayer. Uh, you pray, ask the Lord to do exactly what I'm asking for, which is give me wisdom, give me help, uh, help me to not only understand what's here, but to obey what's here. So let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, I pray that you will uh, give me guidance on what to say and how to say it in a way that will be both beneficial to those that are listening, but also to me, Lord, I need this word. I pray that you will help me to hear it and obey it and to take it to heart. Thank you so much for it. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So the headline that I'm putting on this little section, this is Mark chapter two, verse 13 through 17. The headline I'm putting on there and you see it at the bottom of the screen is Jesus calls sinners. 
There's also a kind of a flip side to that. Jesus calls sinners, but he rejects the self-righteous. You're going to see this in this passage. So I'm just giving you the outline. It's a two-point outline. Point one, he, he calls sinners. Point two, he rejects the self-righteous. But I want you to see this develop in the passage. In verse 14, uh, or rather in verse 13, it just continues on the, uh, the journey. So Mark is just narrating what's happening here. He says he went forth again by the seaside. And all the multitudes resorted unto him, and he taught them. So just Jesus' ministry continues. But as he's continuing his ministry, verse 14, we're introduced to a, a new person. Um, as he passed by, Jesus passes by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom. Now, we, you may or may not know who Levi is. That may not be a name that's familiar, with, uh, familiar to you from uh, Jesus's ministry, but if you if you knew him, you would probably understand that his name in other parts of scripture is also called Matthew. So he is Matthew, uh, the publican or tax collector. He is one of the disciples of Jesus. Uh, here, Mark refers to him by the name Levi, son of Alphaeus. Same person, it's just a different name that uh, again Mark consistently refers to him as. But here's a man <clears throat> who is a tax man. He is sitting at the receipt of custom. So he's doing his job as a tax man. Now, nobody likes a tax man, right? Uh, that's in this era, this day and age we live in. Uh, we don't like to pay taxes. Nobody loves that. But uh, I happened to, uh, in, when I was in uh, Madison, Rockingham County at a church there, Ellisboro Baptist, there was a man who was a, a attendant and member of that church who had retired from the IRS good man, great, you know, just a, a godly man, in fact, and just really, I learned a lot from him. But the point of telling you that is to say he was no pariah. There was nobody looking at him. Oh my goodness, he's a tax man. That's not how we see it today. I mean, there's this sort of, we don't like to pay taxes, but there's not a, you know, kind of that negative negativity in that day. Not only is it bad because nobody wanted to pay taxes just like today, but on top of that, these guys were the worst. Uh, not only were they doing something people didn't like, taking taxes, but they were actually given a commission by the Roman government. And a lot of times they were kind of given free reign to get however much money they wanted from whomever they wanted with the authority backing of the Roman government. On top of all this, the Romans would use kind of a local guy and they were doing this in conquered territory. So here we are in Israel and he's they're going to a Jewish man, Matthew, and saying to this Jewish man, listen, we want you to go collect taxes amongst people. And he was essentially turning his back. He was kind of being a turncoat on his own country, countrymen, and then going and just squeezing them for every dollar he could and had the Roman government to back him. So people looked at them like, oh, my goodness, you are a cheat. You are a liar. You are a thief. You're a turncoat. They just had all the negative things. You also remember Zacchaeus the wee little man, if you know the song, wee little man, Jesus finds him. This is over in Luke. Um, I think it's Luke chapter. Oh goodness. I'm not even going to try It's in Luke. I know he's in Luke, but when Jesus runs across Zacchaeus, of course, J Zacchaeus follows Jesus and he's changed by Jesus. But what does Zacchaeus have to do? He has to make everything right because he has cheated so many people. So here's Matthew or Levi, as he's referred to in this text. He's a tax man. And he is considered by so many people that day as the worst of sinners. He is a sinner. He's, a, he's the worst kind of human being, and he is a sinner above all sinners. And tax men were rejected by the religious people. They would want nothing to do with these people. 
In fact, even Jesus's words, if you go to Matthew chapter 18, there's a section in the middle of chapter 18 where um, Jesus is talking about how to uh, deal with problems in the church if somebody sins against you or whatever. And he gives this three-step process. And the final step where if they basically say, no, I reject your correction, I will not repent. He said, you treat them like a publican, another word for a tax man. You treat them like a tax man. So the point of all that is to say, here is a bad dude. This guy from a sin perspective is a bad guy. And on top of it, don't miss what's going on. When Jesus goes by him, by Levi, he is sitting at the receipt of custom. He's not simply a tax man. He is a tax man actively doing. He is sitting in that seat, actively doing what he's doing. Now, the idea of paying taxes or being on the receiving end of those taxes is not sinful in and of itself. But I can tell you, based on everything I have read and studied on the tax collection process that Matthew or Levi would have been involved in, he was actively sinning at this time. He's cheating people. He's telling them that they owe more than they really do. And he is threatening them. And he's doing things that he really had no business or right to do other than the Roman government was willing to turn a blind eye to it. So here he is actively in his sin. But look what Jesus does. Verse 14, last part. What is Jesus saying to him? Follow me. And he arose and followed him. This is exactly what Jesus does to Peter and James and John. He does this to uh, um, he does this to Simon, Simon Peter and his brother uh, Andrew. I was trying to think of his name. Peter and Andrew earlier in chapter one. Same thing. These are just fishermen by the by the sea. And he says, "Follow me." And we don't think anything of it. But here's a guy who is a sinner, and he says, "Follow me." And it wasn't just a one-off anomaly. Don't, don't, don't think this was just like, oh, maybe Levi was you know, getting right, and therefore he was the guy that Jesus wanted to pick. It wasn't a one-off anomaly. Look, at, look what happens. Verse 15, this continues on. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house. Now, his house, is this Levi's house? Is this Peter's house? Is this Jesus's house? I don't know. I think it's probably Levi's house. That's the indication I get from this. But the point is, he's in this house and he's eating. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he says, they sat together. Many publicans and sinners sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many and they followed him. Do, do you see that? There's a lot of publicans. He calls them or tax man using the publican. He calls them publicans and sinners. There's a lot of them, not just one or two, not just Levi. There's a lot of them. Jesus is sitting down and eating with them. So there's fellowship. And I, I don't think this was like a cafeteria where you can't help by who's beside you. He's in there because he's fellowshipping with them. And it says there that these men and women followed him. These people followed after Jesus had called them. The point of this is to simply make this point. Jesus's ministry, and you go back through all of the Gospels, and I think you'll find this to be true. Even what we call the disciples, you'll see this to be true of them as well. Jesus's ministry is marked by fellowshipping with sinners. Now, don't get me wrong. You cannot hear me wrong on this. You've got to hear me carefully. It is not to say that Jesus is okay with sin. It is not to say anything about his holiness because he is holy above all holy. 
He is perfect and righteous and holy in every which way. But what Jesus does when he comes into this earth, first of all, just by the very nature of coming into our existence, enrobing in flesh and coming to the planet on this earth, as he is here, by the nature of doing that, he is entering into the worst of the worst, just by being here, first of all. Second of all, once he's here, he enjoys the company, he's sort of drawn to the worst and the rejected and those people who are deep in their sins, not because he enjoys their sin, by no means. That's why he dies on the cross is for their sins, but he loves them. There's a book and I meant to have it in my hand, but I didn't, I left it on my shelf. A book called Gentle and Lowly. I don't know if y'all can see it. It may be backwards. I can't can't remember how my camera does here. It's called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Very, very phenomenal book. There's a lot of good stuff in here talking about uh, the heart. The subtitle of it is The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. If you haven't read it, recommend it highly. Please get a copy of it. But one of the things that Dane says in this book, he says, when Jesus Christ, this is a quote from the book, when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward that sin and suffering, not away from it. To, to try to get a picture of this in your mind, when Jesus, like the, uh, remember the Good Samaritan, that story, when that, when that man is off by the side of the road, and he is broken and he's hurting. Those other religious people, when they pass by him, there's, I mean, one even goes on the other side of the road, tries to stay as far away. But when the good Samaritan comes, he actually comes and he you know, picks him up and takes care of his wounds. This is what Jesus does is when he sees someone in sin, when he sees somebody broken by sin, his instinct is not to say, ooh, stay away from me. His instinct is instead to come as close as possible, to actually touch the hurt where it is, to make it better, to heal it, to address it. Now, when I read that, I, I kind of understand it. And, and I think if we think about it in terms of sin being a dangerous thing and a painful thing and it hurting people and Jesus then coming to heal, you kind of understand it. But on the surface, you got to look in verse 15 and here's Jesus in this room full of these tax men and other sinners, a variety of sinners. And you, I do at least, again, one of the things you may or may not know about me, but I was raised, I mean, I was practically born a Baptist. My, my mama talks a lot about how when I was born that next Sunday, I mean, I think I, I can't remember the day of the week. It might've been a Thursday, Friday, but Sunday I'm in the church house with her. I mean, that's the way I was raised in church. And I mean, I, I could, I could, I could go on and on and tell you all of the the my bona fide bona fides about how I am, you know, religious above all religious. I mean, fundamentalist from way back. I mean, I, I can tell you about all that stuff, and and that. So, so when I'm saying when I'm reading that, I'm saying, just like the people in verse sixteen, the Pharisees and the scribes, essentially, why? Why is he doing this? This doesn't feel right. In fact, look what they say. Pharisees and scribes, scribes and Pharisees, when they saw him with the publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, how is it he eateth with public, he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? They say, how is this possible? Why is he doing that? And look at what Jesus's answer is in verse 17. When he heard that, when he heard that question, he saith unto them, they that are whole have no need of a physician, 
but they that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He said, there is nobody that's too bad for me. In fact, the worse you are means the more you need him. And so what Jesus is saying is I have come for these people. That's why I'm here. The worst of the worst, the rejected that are rejected by the rejected, uh, the people that are actively in their sin. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 5 and verse 20, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That's why Jesus does what he does. But I asked the question, and if you were if you follow on the Facebook event, and I try to put a few thought questions out there, and one of the questions that I have is, well, where does this leave the religious person? As, as I tried to suggest to you, I, I, I put myself in that category. I am the religious person. I say that with, to be fair, a little bit of pride. I say that with a little bit of, you know, wow, I'm pretty good fella. And I'm, I'm honest, where does that leave someone like me? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 16, and he says that person, the religious person, is in stark contrast with the sinner. He said, verse 17, excuse me, those that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. He's saying, listen, you either have to be perfect like me. In fact, he says it over in Matthew 5, when the great the Sermon on the Mount, he says, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of God. He said, unless you're perfect like I am, you're not even going to heaven. But he says, on the other hand, I have come to help those people that are, that are lost, those people that are in need, those people that are sick. The question is, which category do you put yourself in? Are you the worst of the worst or the best of the best? And I will say, People like Matthew Tilly, raised in a Christian home, uh, went to a Christian school, both in high school and in undergraduate college. I, I, I'm telling you, I mean, I'm steeped in this stuff. People like me, we tend to put ourselves in the category of the best of the best. Now, we might attribute it to any number of things. Mom and daddy were good people, or I made good choices. Any number of reasons that we that we would might say that. But where we end up is essentially saying, we're pretty good folk. And <clears throat> Jesus says, if that's where you are, if that's what you are, if you're pretty good folk, I didn't come for you. And I'll just tell you, if you heard what I just said, if you're paying attention, that stings. If For me, it stings a little bit to say, wow, <laughs> huh, what in the world? And Jesus says, if you are thinking that I have come just for good people, or I have come for good people or for moral people. If you think that my crowd is the people who've got their stuff together, if that's who you think I'm coming, you've completely missed it. I mean, if you're a perfectly healthy person, why are you going to the doctor? I mean, I get you go for preventative maintenance and things like that, but oil changes and that sort of thing. But, but seriously, you're not going to the doctor unless you're sick. You're not going into surgery unless you need something removed or something repaired. So if you're self-righteous, if you're good, if you are moral and you think that's enough, you don't need a savior. Now you may say, well, man, Matthew, are you saying that you don't need Jesus? I didn't say that. I said, you think if you're self-righteous, you think you are your own savior. 
you don't need another savior, but your, your, your religion, your morality, it doesn't impress Jesus. You're impressed with it to your own detriment. You look at yourself and say, well, I'm a pretty good Joe. I, I've got this thing figured out. I, I go to church. I'm a member of a church. I'm working at this church. I'm serving in these ways. I'm, I'm a good person. I help people. I mean, if that is your claim to fame, that you are those things, your work is not impressing Jesus. He, t- he actually says to a church in Revelation chapter, thir- chapter 3, the Revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 3, verse 17, he's talking to a church in a city called Laodicea. And he says to them, listen, you all say you're rich and that you're increased with goods and you have need of nothing, but you don't understand, he says, you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Where does it leave religious people? Where does it relieve, Where does it leave somebody like myself who... Again, I could tell you all the wonderful things of my life and the choices I've made, and I could I could go on and on about how good of a person I am, and I and I'm genuine, being genuine with you, I could do that. I know some people have these terrorist, these testimonies of how God saved them from this, that, and the other. My testimony is one where you know a lot of good things have happened, and and it feels like I'm a moral person. Where does it leave somebody like me? Well, the fact is. If I stay in my morality and my religion, if that's what I'm counting on, I can tell you it will keep me blind, miserable, wretched, poor, and naked. It will keep me from what I really need. I will be clinging to a Savior who will not save me. And I'm not talking about Jesus. I'm talking about my religion. Instead, I need to see that what I have, as moral as I might be, as good of a family as I might come from, as often as I go to church and all the service and good things I might do in my life, that those things on their own, will, in any respect, will not do any good in eternity. I, whether I dress it up or don't, spiritually, I am a dead man. And it's actually kind of a pitiful thing if you think about it. If you were to think about a person who's sick and maybe they have some disease that's literally eating them from the inside out. There's one man who's that's happening to him and he realized that's I've got a problem and I need a doctor. I need somebody who's got some some knowledge and can help me. And he's asking anybody who can please help me. On the other hand, you've got somebody who's that same thing. It's eating him from the inside. You could just smell it as you walk up to him that there's something wrong. But he says, oh, no, I'm fine. I've got this under control. That's kind of pitiful. That's where we are. You see, Jesus doesn't want those people who think they've got it under control. He, he does not go, he's not going to do anything for them. He says, I didn't come to call the righteous. If you're good, you're on your own. He didn't come to help the churchy people. He wants those people who we would call the bad eggs, the rebels, the outcasts. See, we've got it backwards. In fact, James says in James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, he says in those verses that God resisted the proud. He gives grace unto the humble. He says then what we need to be doing is submitting ourselves to God, recognizing we need something we don't have. Over in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul writes, 
that he is, I think he uses the word chief of sinners. He's the worst sinner imaginable. He goes on to say in, in that passage in 1 Timothy 1, that the only reason he has any hope of salvation, the only reason he has a future in heaven, the only reason he has been saved is because Jesus has mercy on sinners. And here's Paul that says, I am a sinner. I'm the worst that there can be. And the reason I'm saved is because Jesus loves sinners. That's his message. But in Philippians chapter three, and, and I love this section of Philippians because I, I, as I just told you, I resonate with Paul's pedigree. He gives off a pedigree here. And again, obviously we're different, but, but in similar, there's a lot of similarities there. He says, I'm a Jew under God's special covenant. I'm part of the best tribe. This was uh, <clears throat> uh, from the, the tribe that springs from Jacob's favorite wife, tribe of Benjamin. He says, I'm a traditional Jewish man. I'm religiously observant. I am a fundamentalist. Uh, he goes, I mean, he's a true fundamentalist. I mean, he's rigid as it comes and he's actively protecting God's law. He's a Pharisee. He was one who would vehemently, and, and I mean, maybe short of, well, actually in one part, he actually becomes violent, taking people out of churches and all that in, in the book of Acts. But he's vehemently fighting what was understood to be heresy. And, and, and again, I, I understand that his religion before he was converted was, was something that was falling short of, of salvation because they needed a savior. But from a moral perspective, Paul was a good man. It doesn't sound like the worst sinner in the world, not to me anyway. But Paul understood and embraced what Jesus is teaching in Mark chapter 2. He said, everything that I've got, the special position in the, in the, in the, the Jewish religion and the, the, the fundamentalist positions and the traditional and observant, all those things, all of that stuff is something that I would consider to be given up to take it out just like you would the trash, like you would some kind of medical infected refuse. You would throw it away as fast as you can, not even just without hesitation, but as quickly as you can get it away from you, just so that he could win Christ. He says in Philippians 3.8, but what things were gained to me, that whole list of attributes, those that pedigree, those moral actions, those good person uh, bona fides. He says, all of those things, I counted loss for Christ. I count them but dung, he says, that I may win Christ. See, Paul understood what we should be hearing when we hear Jesus say, I want to read it to you again. This is Mark chapter 2 and verse 17. He says, they that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Paul knew that if you don't think you need Jesus, you're not going to have Jesus. And if you don't have Jesus, you can be as good as you want to be. You can be as bad as you want to be. You can live any which way you want to. But the Bible tells me you are going to be a man or a woman most miserable. But if you have him, Thank God that he reached way down, as the song says, way down for me. Thank God that he loved me when I was a sinner. That he didn't look at me and say, well, Matthew's good enough. I don't need him. I don't need to save him. No, 
He said, I know Matthew. He, I know how he's going to be raised. I know the kind of life he's going to live, but he is still a sinner in need of salvation. I'm so glad that he did that for me. So what I need to do in turn as an, as an uh, ambassador of Jesus's love is to embrace sinners with his love. I'm never suggesting, and I don't I hope you're not taking this from what I'm saying, that, that we're to condone sin, that we're to ever say it's okay, or, 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 or that we're to allow it in our own life. That As a believer in Jesus, there's, a, there's whole other parts of Scripture that talk about if you're following Jesus, you need to obey him. And he does command us, uh, as he tells that woman in John chapter 8, I believe, he says, you know, I forgive you, but now sin no more. I, there's a, there is a requirement as we're to be holy as he is holy. So don't hear this as some kind of permissiveness to your sin, but it is to say, we need to go love some sinners. We need to recognize we are sinners and that it if it weren't but for the love of Christ, we would be on our way to hell. So we need to point people not to my preferences, my opinions, my traditions, my upbringing, the way I like to do things, my accomplishments. Nobody needs that. I don't even need that. We need to be pointing people to Jesus because he has come to call sinners to repentance. I want to close the teaching at that and I uh, hope you've uh, learned a little bit of something from this. Next week, we'll continue on in, uh, in chapter two and we will look at a passage here where Jesus talks about um, basically how things are changing because he's shown up. And I think it'll be interesting to you as we get into that. He talks about the um, um, uh, the, the new garment that's or rather the, the new cloth that's, that's put onto an old garment. It's, it's an interesting passage and we'll have some real interesting interpretation challenges. But ultimately, the center of it is because Jesus is here, everything's different. So anyhow, I look forward to doing that with you. I'll put that on the schedule for next week. So next Tuesday at uh, 7 p.m. I hope you'll join me. Again, questions, feedback, any of that, drop it in the comments. Reach out to me. We'll talk soon. And uh, y'all have a great week. We'll talk later.